Good morning again. We are starting a new series today on mental health, as you know. I'm thankful to Benita Southgate for giving a psychologist's perspective on this important subject. It's now my privilege to open God's word with you and to share a message from Philippians chapter 4, also on the subject of mental health. It's a very appropriate passage to study because Paul is under lockdown. He too has been separated from friends and loved ones, and he is facing the stress of a potential trial and perhaps even his own execution. So I'm sure that Paul's mental health was being tested and challenged at this point. It's an amazing chapter, Philippians 4, and it has a great deal to say about mental health. This, after all, is the chapter where Paul tells us not to be anxious about anything. This is the chapter where he tells us to be relaxed, to to be gentle, because God is near. This is the chapter where he tells us what we should fix our thoughts on. Before we get into Philippians 4, there's a proverb in the Old Testament that I think also has great relevance to the subject of mental health. And that's Proverbs 4, verse 23. I'm sure you know it. It says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. This verse doesn't use the contemporary term mental health, but that's clearly what's being spoken about here. The author is saying, look after yourself, your your inner life. Guard your heart, guard your soul, because the rest of our lives flows out of that place. Having a healthy soul, enjoying good mental health, has a knock-on effect to every aspect of our lives. So let's guard our hearts and take care of ourselves and our own mental health. I want to begin by reading from verse 4 of Philippians 4, even though we'll be looking at the whole chapter. I just want to read a few verses as we begin. Verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. On these encouraging words, and I have eight points in all to share from this passage. The first point I want to make about having good mental health is about how important it is 
to have harmonious relationships with others. My first point is this, get along with people. Get along with people. It's frightening how easily conflict with people can have a detrimental effect on our mental health. Dysfunctional relationships are a huge source of emotional pain and brokenness. And being in a, a state of conflict can really grind a person down. It can take a toll on you over the long term. And Christians too can experience conflict with each other, sometimes protracted conflict. Sometimes that conflict may even be within the church, with people in the church. Take a look at verse 2 of Philippians 4. There Paul writes, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. This is an astounding verse. Here are two women, godly women, women who have been contending for the gospel alongside Paul. And they're at loggerheads with each other. And their interpersonal conflict has been recorded in God's word for all to see. No doubt these are both lovely women. I don't know if you've discovered, I'm sure you have, how much conflict and disagreements with people can affect your mental health. Being in a constant state of tension and conflict with others is very damaging to the soul. Paul's plea to these two is that they agree with each other in the Lord. That phrase really struck me. What does it mean to agree with someone in the Lord? I think it means to be unified even when there's a difference of perspective. You can disagree with someone, even your brother and sister in Christ, even your spouse, and yet still be united with them in the Lord. I think this is what Paul is pleading for here. Not necessarily that they will see eye to eye on everything, but they will, that they will put their differences aside for the sake of the kingdom. I don't know what the issue is with Euodikai and with Syntyche, but, but clearly it's, it's something that they can't resolve. And so Paul pleads with others and he says, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women. And we as Christians ought to be peacemakers when it comes to mental health a huge amount of emotional energy is used up in conflict and often it's truly better to just lay aside what we want for the sake of peace and I want to urge you as Paul did 
That if there's anybody that you're in a disagreement with right now, that any relationship where there is tension and conflict, that you do all that you can to resolve that. In popular psychology, there is sometimes there is sometimes used the phrase toxic people. Toxic people. These are people who just have a tremendously negative influence on those they come into contact with. Sad but true. And as Christians, it's always vital that we forgive those that have hurt us. But there are times in relationships when conflict can't be resolved, when it's important to put some distance between ourselves and those people that are harming our mental well-being. Establishing good boundaries with people who are hurtful and toxic, where we can't be reconciled to them in the Lord, is an important thing to do for our mental health. So my first observation today is this. Don't live in a constant state of conflict with people. I'm sure you know the Bible verse from Corinthians, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Don't let the devil get a foothold in that way. Where you disagree with someone, I encourage you to find a way forward. Let's learn to agree with one another in the Lord, to still enjoy unity even when we have disagreements. Cancel culture doesn't belong in the church. When we write people off because we happen to disagree with them about something. The godly way to handle disagreement is to get along with people in the Lord. To put the Lord and his glory ahead of our wants. So having healthy relationships with other people is very important when it comes to our own mental health. Let me remind you of what Paul wrote in verse 2. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. My second point is this regarding having good mental health. It's very simply, be gentle, be gentle. And I take this from verse five, where Paul writes, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let's just think about this verse for a moment. It has two parts to it. Let your gentleness be evident to all. That's one part. And the second part is, the Lord is near. And there's a relationship between these two things. Why can we be gentle? It's because the Lord is near. If we don't believe that the Lord is near, then we can't be gentle. Because we've got to fight for ourselves, stand up for ourselves, Take matters into our own hands. 
But someone who trusts in the providence and in the power of God can relax, can be peaceable, can be calm, can be gentle, because they know that the Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. What is your disposition as a person? Are you someone known for their gentleness? When people see you, do they know that you are a gentle person? And by gentle, I don't mean soft or weak. It takes an enormous amount of emotional energy to keep up a front of aggression and toughness. People that are gentle are far more likely to have good mental health than people that are constantly worked up, vexed, and angry. I'm reminded of what James wrote in James 1.20. He said this, For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. I also couldn't but help but think of what Jesus said in Matthew 11 when he was describing himself. Notice how Jesus describes himself. And I think there's some implications here for, for good mental health. In Matthew 11 verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then here's how Jesus describes himself. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. So it's amazing to me that one of the primary ways in which Jesus characterizes himself is by describing himself as being gentle and humble. And I think these two attributes lend themselves to good mental health. A gentle person is not one who goes around arguing with others, looking for conflict. And a humble person is someone who doesn't always have to get their own way. I can't stress enough the value of being a gentle and humble person. We need to let God, to, we need to learn to let God fight our battles. Verse 5 says this, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The next subject Paul addresses is that of anxiety. And this is such a huge issue today when it comes to mental health. Anxiety is a real dragon. It is a joy killer, a peace wrecker. It will eat you alive. Anxiety has been referred to, along with depression, as the affliction of our day. It's such an important subject to deal with that the whole of next week's sermon is going to be on the subject of anxiety and Shelley is going to share with us next week. So I'm not going to say too much about anxiety today. 
other than to read what Paul writes here in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So my third point today is this, for good mental health. When anxious, pray. Let our, may our anxiety lead us into prayer. And there's this wonderful promise. Then the peace of God, which defies understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. What a great promise. The next thing I want to talk about is mentioned in the verses I've just referred to. Do you notice how we are supposed to pray? Here's that verse again, verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, and here it is, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's quite remarkable. Here's Paul in, in lockdown, facing a, a, a possible execution. And he's telling people that when they pray, they need to be thankful. They need to pray with, with a grateful heart. Over the last years, much research has been done on being grateful, on the subject of gratitude. And what researchers have found is that being grateful is very good for us. Just uh, take a look at the Wikipedia entry on gratitude. And, and there's a lot of research listed there and all the benefits of gratitude. It's, it's great stuff. People who practice gratitude in their personal lives are usually a, a whole lot happier than those that don't. It's so important in life to be grateful for what we have. So my fourth point today is be grateful. Be grateful for what you have. So often today, people are focusing on what they don't have and what others do have and what they want. Back in the day, that used to be regarded as a sin, the sin of envy. Perhaps social media has, has played a role here in our society. Even though we're the generation that's, that's had the most stuff and that has lived the most comfortable life, in many ways, people are increasingly dissatisfied with what they have. Paul writes to Timothy, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Grateful people tend to be happy people. Ungrateful people, dissatisfied people, envious people 
tend to be a lot less happy and enjoy not as good mental health. This point about living with gratitude flows naturally into my next point, which is be content. Be content. Let's take a look at verse 11. Great stuff coming up from Paul. Verse 11, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I think this fits in so perfectly with the previous point. People that are thankful, who are grateful, tend to be contented. It's a terrible thing to always be wanting more. More stuff, more money. In fact, so much of our world today is driven by feelings of discontentment. People envying what others have. And that inner dissatisfaction with who they are and with what they have is very damaging to the self. The Bible teaches the art of contentment. It is a deeply spiritual thing to be happy with who you are and with what you have. It's a contributor to good mental health, contentment. And contentment is something that we learn. It is not something that comes naturally. Paul writes here, I have learned to be content. I have learned to be content. He also refers to it as being a secret. Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content. Have you learned the secret of contentment? By the way, verse 13 here in Philippians 4 is quite possibly one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And what exactly is Paul referring to here? What is the, the everything that Paul can do through Christ who gives him strength? Well, the great achievement that Paul is writing about here is being content. That's that's what Paul is talking about when he says, I can do it through Christ who gives me strength. This doesn't mean it's wrong to have goals and plans and dreams in life. But a mentally healthy person is one who can be at peace and who can be happy in the circumstances they find themselves in. It's easy to be happy in an ideal situation. Paul's challenge to us 
And my challenge to you today is, can you be happy? Can you be at peace? Can you experience joy, the joy of the Lord, even in a hard, difficult place? This is the amazing thing that we can do through Christ who gives us strength. My next point is based on verse 4 of Philippians 4. There we read these words. Rejoice in the Lord. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And interestingly enough, he's already said it in chapter 3 and verse 1. So this is now the third time he's saying it in just a few sentences. Previously, Paul has told us that we need to get along with others in the Lord now he's saying that we must rejoice in the Lord. What are we to make of this instruction? Rejoice in the Lord. Be happy in the Lord. It's as though Paul thinks that by some act of our will, we can rejoice. We can be happy in the Lord. Does this fly in the face of common sense or is he onto something? We can put the question another way. Can we ourselves change our own emotional state through our own willpower? And I believe that we can. Otherwise, the Bible wouldn't tell us to rejoice. Here in this verse, Paul is saying is that rejoicing is something that we can do. And he's so sure of it that he repeats himself. And certainly there are times and seasons where life is devastating and where people are experiencing such poor mental health and such severe grief that they're unable to experience joy. We understand that. And we need to take very seriously things like depression and anxiety. But for the most part, we really can do what Paul is telling us to do here, which is to rejoice in the Lord. When I studied a bit of psychology many years ago, I was very excited to learn about Rational Emotive Therapy, which was developed by Albert Ellis. Today it's called Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. And its definition is as follows. It posits that people have erroneous beliefs about situations they're involved in, and that these beliefs cause disturbance, but can be disputed with and changed. What's the big idea here? It is that there is a rational and cognitive element to the feelings we feel. What we think about and the beliefs we hold definitely do have bearing on our emotional state. Contemporary physiology would take this, in fact does take it, even a step further and would, would state that the brain 
can actually change its form based on the thoughts we think. This is referred to as neural plasticity. The brain is, is, is living and changing, and it actually rewires itself depending on how the brain is being used. The human brain is so amazing that to use a metaphor or an illustration from the world of technology, the human brain is so amazing that it can change its own hardware depending on the software that it's running. The thoughts we think and the way in which we think about life has a significant influence on our emotional state. This is why Paul can write and command people and instruct them and say, rejoice in the Lord. This is a choice we can make. Not all emotions just happen to us. They are the complex product of our thoughts, beliefs, and perspectives. Notice how Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He's saying, ground your joy, your peace in the person of the Lord. And Jesus is such a, a good reason for joy, regardless of our circumstances. Let's not be passive about the emotional state that we find ourselves in. We have the power to think new thoughts, to break out of the cycle of despair, to be freed from negative thinking. We can choose to rejoice in the Lord. Science shows that this is possible. To rejoice in the Lord means choosing to frame our lives in the context of the gospel. It's choosing to see ourselves in the big picture of God's providence. It means focusing on the good things that God is doing in our world and in our lives. When Paul wrote these words, he was in house arrest, under house arrest, facing a a, a terrible trial, but he could, too could choose to rejoice in the Lord. As Christians, we are at such an advantage when it comes to our mental health, for we know that we are loved, that we are accepted by God through Christ, and that God is at work in all things for the good of those of us who love him. This leads so naturally to my seventh point. Think good thoughts. Think good thoughts. And this is what Paul writes right here. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. We've all heard the silly saying, you are what you eat. 
Well, there's a measure of truth to that. But perhaps it is more true to say that we are what we think, that our consciousness is the sum of our thoughts. What are your thoughts? What is filling your mind? Is it the kind of things that Paul refers to here, things that are true and noble and pure and lovely and admirable? We all know how down we can get when we spend too much time around ungodly or depressing people. I don't mean depressed people, but people that are very negative. I, I can become quite disheartened after spending some time reading my Twitter feed. When we expose ourselves to, to negativity and to evil and to ungodliness, it really can have a, a, a tremendously negative effect on our state of mind, on our mental health. I'm sure you too need to be careful about what you watch on TV, the kind of media you expose yourself to, the music you listen to, the games that you play. All of these things have, a, have an effect on our state of mind and on our mental health. We're told in verse 8 in no uncertain terms that our focus should be on that which is true, that which is noble, that which is right, that which is pure and lovely. And I want to encourage you for the sake of your own mental health to guard what you allow into your mind. Some things can never be unseen. As Christians, we are transformed through the renewing of our minds. This is a work of the Spirit. But we have a part to play in protecting ourselves from being exposed to and or dwelling on ungodly things. My final point is based on verse 14. Paul has just said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And then he says this, it was good of you to share in my troubles. It was good of you to share in my troubles. And so my eighth point on the subject of mental health is this. Share your troubles. Even though Paul is such a strong person, even though he has such a close relationship with God, even though he can cope with adversity because of Christ who gives him strength, he still writes, it was good of you to share my troubles. You know, it was in the perfection of the Garden of Eden, when Adam was alone, that God said it is not good for the man to be alone. God intends for us to live in community, to grow up in families, to be in relationships with others, to be part of a church community. 
And one of the reasons for this is so that we can share our troubles with each other, to be there for each other. And this is so important too for our emotional and mental well-being. That's why solitary confinement is such a damaging, destructive thing. It's so important to be part of a community, to be part of a loving community. And this is what we have in the church. We are those who've been instructed to carry one another's burdens. We are those who are to mourn with those who mourn. And also to rejoice with those who rejoice. I hope you are someone who is willing to, to share their troubles. It can be humbling to do that. And equally so, I hope that you are a person who is willing for others to share their troubles with you. Having empathy, the ability to empathize with people, is a sign of good mental health. But being part of an empathetic, loving community is also a contributing factor to good mental health. There is no shame in asking for help, in reaching out. So please do. Particularly in the season of lockdown, you're always welcome to contact anyone on our pastoral team or myself, and we will be there for you and support you as best we can. In conclusion then, as I wrap up today's message on mental health, Christians are well positioned to enjoy good mental health. We've got so much going for us. God has blessed us in so many ways. I want to just recap the, the eight points I've shared today. I want to encourage you to get on well with people. As Paul has to write to Euodia and Syntyche, he has to say to these dear sisters who, who he served alongside with, urge them to, to get on well with each other in the Lord. If there's anyone you're experiencing conflict with right now, I urge you to resolve that matter and to, to make peace and to call on someone else to help you. That's also what Paul says. Help these women, loyal yoke fellow. I also want to encourage you, secondly, be gentle. We don't have to be fighters. We can be gentle because the Lord is, is near. He's with us. He's watching us. When we feel anxious, let's take it to the Lord in prayer. Let your anxiety lead you to prayer. Be grateful. Paul says, when you pray because you're anxious, pray with thanksgiving. Pray with a, a thankful heart. Let's learn the secret of being content. Paul writes, I have learned the secret of being content. I want to encourage you to, to rejoice in the Lord. Don't, don't feel that you... you 
you're a victim of your own emotions. I want to encourage you to, to choose happiness, to, to be careful of how you think, to not allow negative thoughts to take root in your heart and in your mind. Very damaging. We, we, we're, we're in a faith where the, the Spirit is at work renewing our minds. Don't be, don't be conformed to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Paul writes in Romans 12. I want to encourage you to fix your mind and your thoughts on good things, that which is pure and noble and, and honorable. And finally, we need to be those who are willing to share their troubles with others. As Paul can say, it was good of you to share my troubles. So friends, let me remind you of these scriptures. Verse 4 of chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. And we pray and invite you to come and to renew our minds. Lord, may they be fixed on you. And we pray that you would teach us all the, the secret of contentment. We pray that you would help us to live our lives with gratitude, to be gentle and gracious people who enjoy harmonious relationships with others. Thank you that we can share our troubles with each other. And we pray that your blessing would be upon our community. Today, Lord, we pray for those who mourn, for those who are suffering, for those that have experienced great tragedy. And we pray for your comfort, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you would make us peacemakers in this world and that you would help each one of us to spread the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Thank you, Lord, that you are not just near, but that our very bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we worship you, we praise you, and we are thankful. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining with us today.